name is Flick and I'm on the ministry staff team here. And we welcome you, especially if you're new or visiting today. Our service today will consist of a dramatic Bible readings, reflections and music. And we hope that you'll be challenged and inspired as you remember and meditate on Jesus' sacrifice with a special focus today on the theme of blood. In the Bible, the appearance of blood is never a good sign. While blood is natural, the sight of it is not. To the people in Bible times, its red, its red colour, along with its mystical connection with life and death, made it a powerful and ominous symbol of violence and wrong, guilt and coming punishment. But on Good Friday, while the blood of Jesus does bring together all of those themes, it is also a sign of good news. Because on Good Friday, Jesus' blood is shed as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. This is the day the prophet Zechariah foretold. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity.
God, we remember today the pain and suffering of the cross and all that Jesus was willing to endure so we could be set free. He paid the price to offer us the gift of eternal life. Help us never to take for granted this perfect gift of love on our behalf. Help us to be reminded of the cost of it all. Thank you, Lord, that by your wounds we are healed. Thank you that because of your sacrifice, we can live free. Thank you that sin and death have been conquered and that your power is everlasting. We praise you for enduring suffering for our sake. In Jesus' name, amen. The shedding of human blood in the Old Testament is treated as a capital offence. The law says, whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall that person's blood be shed. But the shedding of animal blood is allowed in Old Testament law. It's allowed in the context of ritual slaughter. This blood is treated with high respect. It may not be consumed and it is to be used as a special way for sacrificial worship rites of the Jewish people. We are about to have a famous Easter reading from Isaiah and the prophet reveals that the future Messiah will bleed to death for our sins. He will be pierced for our transgressions, it will say. And yet this is good news because by his wounds we are healed. The Lord says, My servant will succeed in his task. He will be highly honoured. Many people were shocked when they saw him. He was so disfigured that he hardly looked human. But now many nations will marvel at him and kings will be speechless with amazement. They will see and understand something they had never known. The people reply. Who would have believed what we now report? Who could have seen the Lord's hand in this? It was the will of the Lord that his servant grow like a plant, taking root in dry ground. He had no beauty or dignity to make us take notice of him. There was nothing attractive about him. Nothing that would draw us to him. We despised him and rejected him. He endured suffering and pain. No one would even look at him. We ignored him as if he were nothing. But he endured the suffering that should have been ours. The pain that we should have borne. All the while, we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins, he was wounded. Beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered. Made whole by the blows he received. All of us were like sheep that was lost. Each of us going our own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him. The The punishment punishment all of us deserved. He was treated harshly, but endured it humbly. He never said a word. Like a lamb about to be slaughtered. Like a sheep about to be sheared. He never said a word. He was arrested and sentenced and led off to die. And no one cared about his fate. He was put to death for the sins of our people. He was placed in a grave with those who are evil. He was buried with the rich. 
even though he had never committed a crime or ever told a lie. The Lord says, It was my will that he should suffer. His death was a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. And so he will see his descendants, he will live a long life, and through him, my purpose will succeed. After a life of suffering, he will again have joy. He will know that he did not suffer in vain. My devoted servant, with whom I am pleased, will bear the punishment of many, and for his sake, I will forgive them. And so I will give him a place of honour, a place among the great and powerful. He willingly gave his life and shared the fate of evil men. He took the place of many sinners and prayed that they might be forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Jesus left with his disciples and went across the Kidron Brook. There was a garden in that place, and Jesus and his disciples went in. Judas, the traitor, knew where it was, because many times Jesus had met there with his disciples. So Judas went to the garden, taking with him a group of Roman soldiers and some temple guards sent by the chief priests and Pharisees. They were armed and carried lanterns and torches. Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. So he stepped forward and asked them, Who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they moved back and fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked them, Who is it you are looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I have already told you that I am he. If then you are looking for me, let these others go. He said this so that what he had said might come true. Father, I have not lost even one of those you gave me. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. The name of the slave was Malchus. Put your sword back in its place. Do you think that I will not drink the cup of suffering which my father has given me? Then the Roman soldiers, with their commanding officer and the Jewish guards, arrested Jesus, tied him up, and took him first to Annas. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jewish authorities that it was better that one man should die for all the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Simon Peter and another disciple get access to the high priest's courtyard and try to watch the high priest interrogate Jesus. A servant girl who knew the other disciple came across to the fire where they were standing, looked at Peter and asked him if he too was a disciple of Jesus. Peter afraid of being found out, lied to her and said, no, I'm not. Then a bit later, an official asked him the same question and a second time Peter said, no. Then one of the high priest's servants asked him the same question, are you a disciple of Jesus? 
and Peter denied it a third time. At that moment, a rooster began to crow. In ancient and modern literature, blood is often a symbol of guilt. Think of the most famous example of this in Shakespeare, Lady Macbeth, who said those haunting words, out damn spot, because her husband has killed the King of Scotland at her urging, and her guilt over the murder has driven her insane. When she speaks this line, she is sleepwalking, and she imagines that a spot of the king's blood stains her hand. Well, the Bible also uses blood this way. It stems from blood as a sign of death due to violence, and in many passages, the mere mention of blood assigns guilt. Some of the biblical authors use phrases like, the city is tracked with blood, or the people have hands full of blood. In the Psalms, the men of blood are to be feared. And the blood of those who have been killed not only cries out to God, but pursues the murderer. Now, Jesus' blood will be shed, and he will die alongside criminals who are truly guilty. Yet he is sinless. In fact, his blood doesn't point to his own guilt, but it points to the guilt of the Roman authorities, the guilt of the Jewish authorities, the guilt of the the Jewish and Gentile people. It points to the the guilt of your guilt and, and my guilt. Early in the morning, Jesus was taken from Caiaphas' house to the governor's palace. The Jewish authorities did not want to go inside the palace because they wanted to keep themselves ritually clean in order to be able to eat the Passover meal. So Pilate went outside to them and asked, What do you accuse this man of? We would not have brought him to you if he had not committed a crime. Then you yourselves take him and try him according to your own law. We are not allowed to put anyone to death. Pilate went back into the palace and called Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Does this question come from you, or have others told you about me? Do you think I am a Jew? It was your own people and the chief priests who handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. No, my kingdom does not belong here. Are you a king then? You say that I'm a king. I was born and came into this world for for one purpose, to speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth listens to me. And what is truth? Then Pilate went back outside to the people. I cannot find any reason to condemn him, but according to the custom you have, I always set free a prisoner for you during the Passover. Do you want me to set free for you the king of the Jews? No, not him. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him whipped. The soldiers made a crown out of thorny branches and put it on his head. Then they put a purple robe on him and came to him. Long live the king of the Jews. Long live the king of the Jews. And they went up and slapped him. Pilate went back out once more to the crowd. Look, 
I'll bring him out here to let you see that I cannot find any reason to condemn him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Look, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple guards saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! You take him then and crucify him. I find no reason to condemn him. We have a law that says he ought to die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back into the palace and asked Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus did not answer. You will not speak to me? Remember, I have the authority to set you free and also to have you crucified. You have authority over me only because it was given to you by God. So the man who handed me over to you is guilty of a worse sin. When Pilate heard this, he tried to find a way to set Jesus free, but the crowd shouted back. If you set him free, that means that you're not the emperor's friend. Anyone who claims to be a king is a rebel against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he took Jesus outside and sat down on the judge's seat in the place called the Stone Pavement. In Hebrew, the name is Gabbatha. It was then almost noon of the day before the Passover. Pilate said to the people, Here is your king. Kill him! Kill him! Crucify him! Do you want me to crucify your king? The only king that we have is the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O merciful God, you have made all people, and you hate nothing that you have made, nor desire the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn and live. Have mercy on all who have not known you, or who deny the faith of Christ crucified. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word, and so fetch them home, blessed Lord, to your fold that we may be one flock under one shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. In the Bible, flesh and blood, often mentioned together, stands for humanity. Without blood, we human beings, we return to the dust. And in the Bible, the dust of a decaying corpse and the absence of blood are signs of our perishable, our corrupt, corruptive nature, our corruptible nature. Because life is in the blood, the mention of blood suggests that life is endangered. Life passes out of the body. Blood contains the life breath of God. As the blood pours out, the spirit returns to God, who gave it. And reports, the blood, it's like it reports to the creator. This person is now gone. The mere mention of blood, it points to the stark fact of death. And it does it in a way, a mysterious way, without drawing too much attention. As if it were the first fruits of death. The blood ebbs away into the ground before the body decays into dust. As we hear of Jesus' execution, notice that the themes of flesh and blood are vivid. He's on the place called the skull. He is stripped naked. His flesh is exposed. He's crucified. And so 
his blood would have dripped onto the ground. His wounds from his hands and his feet are open. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. Jesus went out, carrying his cross, and came to the place of the skull, as it is called. In Hebrew, it is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and they also crucified two other men, one on each side, with Jesus between them. Pilate wrote a notice and had it put on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, is what he wrote. Many people read it because the place where Jesus was crucified was not far from the city. The notice was written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek. The chief priests said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. What I have written stays written. After the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier. They also took the robe, which was made of one piece of woven cloth without any seams in it. The soldiers said to one another, let's not tear the robe, let's roll dice for it. This happened in order to make the scripture come true. They divided my clothes among themselves and gambled for my robe. This is what the soldiers did. Standing close to Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there. So he said to his mother, He is your son. Then he said to his disciple, She is your mother. From that time, the disciple took her to live in his home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus' death would have come more quickly than the criminals around him. Often the Roman soldiers would leave their victims on the cross uh, to die for several days before they died and then they, the vultures would come and eat the flesh off the cross. Pretty gruesome. If there was some reason to speed up the death of the crucified men and women, the soldiers would smash their legs with an iron mallet. Apart from the shock and the pain of the additional blood that would would have poured out, this would have also prevented the victims from, from pushing with their legs up on the cross. So their chest cavity would have not been able to stay open. They wouldn't be able to breathe. They would lose strength in their arms and they would suffocate. All of this blood, it shocks us. It shocks us as we stare at it. Some of you might have seen a few years ago the Mel Gibson film, The Passion of the Christ, and whatever you thought about it, it did present that gruesomeness of the Roman execution very vividly. The drama of the colour of blood red, it points to a hemorrhaging universe. It should cause us to pay attention. It would have caused widespread fear for those witnessing Jesus' execution. In the Bible, at other times, we see blood red uh, being presented to us as a kind of an omen. Think of the 
Nile in Egypt turning to the colour of blood with Moses and Pharaoh. This is the horror of the blood. But paradoxically, the shock of what we are seeing with Jesus' death points to something hopeful. As Jesus hangs dead on the cross, the soldiers will put a spear in his side and blood and water will pour out. The spear may have even pierced his heart, some think, resulting either directly in, his, in, in the chest and the lung collapsing, the flow of blood and water coming out the side, highlighting that he really di- did die. He really did die as a full human being dying on the cross. There's no doubt about that. He gave up his spirit when he died, leaving behind the blood and the water. There's another image there we, should, we shouldn't miss. The image of the Passover meal in the story. There is the hyssop. There's the unbroken bones. There's the mingled blood. Jesus is the new and better Passover lamb. He's the perfect sacrifice. Those who put their trust in his blood will not stay dead, but will rise to eternal life. Jesus knew that by now everything had been completed. And in order to make the scriptures come true, he said, I am thirsty. A bowl was there full of cheap wine. So a sponge was soaked in the wine, put on a stalk of hyssop and lifted up to his lips. Jesus drank the wine and said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and died. Then the Jewish authorities asked Pilate to allow them to break the legs of the men who had been crucified and to take the bodies down from the crosses. They requested this because it was Friday and they did not want the bodies to stay on the crosses on the Sabbath since the coming Sabbath was especially holy. So the soldiers went and broke the legs of the first man (coughs) and then of the other man who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, plunged a spear into Jesus' side, and at once blood and water poured out. The one who saw this happen has spoken of it, so that you also may believe. What he said is true, and he knows that he speaks the truth. This was done to make the scriptures come true. Not one of his bones will be broken. And there is another scripture that says, People will look at him whom they pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. It was for our sin that Christ was crucified. Our transgressions drove the nails through his hands. But the blood shed on the cross is not only... Uh, a symbol of our guilt and shame and condemnation. It's not only that, it's also a symbol of life, a symbol of hope, a symbol of freedom. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I'm now going to invite you to engage I want you to contemplate the weight of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. If you'd like to stand, we'll keep singing.
Well, there's another image that we should look at, and that is that in the Old Testament, wine is the blood of grapes, treaded out. The prophet sees God's triumphant army treading down their enemies and drinking their blood like wine. And Jesus uses this familiar image showing how the old covenant serves now the new covenant. The old method of ritual sacrifice serves the new covenant of perfect sacrifice of Jesus' own death on the cross. So the story of God's salvation of his people comes full circle now in the Last Supper. Jesus replaces the blood of sacrifice with wine. The offering now of the fruit of the ground, which once was ineffective and unacceptable, has now become a way to remember that the sacrifice has been made once and for all. Almighty God, look with mercy on this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and to be given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. When blood flowed from torn bodies, it symbolised a rupture in the fabric of life. Whether due to violence or other evil, blood destroyed the cleanness of creation. So for the Israelites, animal blood must be handled correctly or else it would defile them. It was not to be left on the ground, uncovered by dust. Human blood had even more power to defile. Bloodied hands were the ultimate image of sinfulness. Isaiah describes sinful Israel and said, For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. The writer of Lamentations describes the sinful prophets, the priests, and the sinful kings, saying, Now they grope through the streets as if they were blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. As we look at Jesus, now dead and covered in blood, we see that in that blood are the sins of the world. We see my sins and we see your sins. Jesus has become defiled on our behalf. After this, Joseph, who was from the town of Arimathea, asked Pilate if he could take Jesus' body. Joseph was a follower of Jesus, but in secret because he was afraid of the Jewish authorities. Pilate told him he could have his body, so Joseph went and took it away. Nicodemus, who at first had gone to see Jesus at night, went with Joseph, taking with him about 100 pounds of spices, a mixture of myrrh and aloes. The two men took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the spices, according to the Jewish custom of preparing a body for burial. There was a garden in the place where Jesus had been put to death, and in it there was a new tomb where no one had ever been buried. Since it was the day before the Sabbath, and because the tomb was close by, they placed Jesus' body there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. 